Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, August the 15th, 2023. It is currently 10.39 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, it all started with a night terror. Waking up at 3, 4 a.m., hearing a, a, a program about apologetics, dealing with the doctrine of eschatology, featuring... Alex Jones. I mean, that's enough to make you wake up going, ah, what just happened? It's the end of the world. What is that? Alex Jones is on an apologetics program dealing with eschatology. What has happened to our world? Okay. And so I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. So I knew at some point I had to find the audio and we had to talk about it. And we have spent two plus hours talking about it. And well, it's getting late. So before I go back to bed, I've got to end the night terror, right? I've got to end this. We've got to finish our review, our analysis, our critique of Alex Jones talking about eschatology on a program about apologetics. Now, what is utterly strange about this, what is really phenomenal, unexpected, shocking, surprising, is it really hasn't been your typical... Alex Jones, it, it hasn't been typically, it hasn't been the typical crazy. Now, at the beginning, there was a little bit of Alex Jones where, hey, we're talking about eschatology, but I'm going to talk about me, 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 me. There was a little bit of that, but they, there's been some interesting conversations. They've hinted at at least the, re, uh, the idea of preterism. They didn't go into great detail, but mentioned it. They talked about the Olivet Discourse and literally mentioned how some of it is related to and speaking of 70 AD. That is fascinating. They did bring up an interesting hypothesis that we, we're going to try to continue to study and try to look into and, and try to see if we think there's anything to it. They brought forth the idea that the Olivet Discourse, as recorded in Matthew 24, and then what some will refer to as the Olivet Discourse as recorded in Luke 21, 5 through 36, they made the assertion that Matthew 24, verses 1 and following, the Olivet Discourse, and Luke 21, 5 through 36, whatever that discourse is, it's really two separate discourses to two separate audiences for two separate purposes. It's not like, no, this, this is the same discourse. You put them together and then you get the full picture. They made kind of an argument that they're two separate ones. So are they the same or separate? I challenged everyone to chart it out. And if you've been listening to our uh, thing about Sermon Spark, we did submit something to see if they will create a, a, contrast of Matthew 24 and Luke 21. So we're going to see what they what they give us. Hopefully we'll get it back by tomorrow and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. So it's I love when all of our different podcast series start merging <laughs> together in some way, shape or form. I love that. But um, so far I haven't been, it, it's, it, it's been surprisingly 
In fact, it's been surprisingly better than I've heard in some churches. Like, like I have a friend in in Iowa who his church was doing a sermon series on Matthew twenty four, barely mentioned sermon, uh, barely mentioned seventy A.D. and looked at the entire thing as future. Well, that that's horrible. It, it, it's it's crazy if a if an apologetics program dealing with eschatology featuring Alex Jones is better than what you get in church. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I maybe the whole world is coming to an end. I, I don't even know how to process that in any way, shape, or form. I'm still trying to figure it all out. But just to remind you, we're not just covering this because it's you know, you know, it's odd. You know, it's a curiosity. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, this will be fun. Maybe this will get a number of downloads. No, we're not looking at it for that reason. And we're looking at it because I think, forget Alex Jones, forget any of this. To me, that this is symbolic of a deeper issue. It's 2023. Many people, whether you, whether you want to acknowledge this fact or not, it's true. There are many people who are done with the corporate church. They're done with it. They're, they're finished. They're not going back. They don't, they don't like it. They don't care for it. They're done with it. They don't, they're done with the politics of it. They've they're done with everything about it. They just, they're just done. But that doesn't mean that they're done with Christ or the Bible or, or the, or theology or spiritual questions or, or having spiritual curiosity. But because they're done with the church, guess where they're not looking for answers? They're not calling your church. They're not looking up your church website. They're not looking up your church Facebook page. They are searching the internet. And they may find something related to a church, but they're looking for podcasts, TikTok videos, discussion boards, wherever they may be. And they're, and so because they're searching kind of the dark corners of the internet, they may find something that features Alex Jones talking about eschatology. So I just want to remind Christians and churches, it's our responsibility to try to get our content on every platform on earth, not just having a little church website, not thinking that people are going to be like, oh, I've got a spiritual question. Let me look up a church and call the pastor. No, they're going to go do a search on their podcast app or on TikTok or on YouTube. That are you there? And are you dealing with the issues that they may be looking for? I think that's very important because look, whether we like it or not, there are people who are going to learn more about eschatology, Bible, and theology. Well, maybe from a program featuring Alex Jones talking about eschatology. So I, I've been shocked in how reasonable it's been up to this point. But I don't know at any point it's going to turn. So I've offered this warning in part one and part two. So far, the warning hasn't really been needed, but I'm going to offer the warning in part three because I've been listening to Alex Jones, not by no means because I agree with him, only because I've seen his influence in the minds of many within Christianity, which is absurd, crazy, and sad to me. But I like keeping up with what's going on. But if you've been, if you've ever listened to Alex Jones, you know that one moment he could be talking about Jesus and the blood of Christ and salvation and the Holy Spirit and God and, 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 and redemption and forgiveness and, 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 and the Ten Commandments. And in the next minute, he can go on a full blunt, it sounds like he's demonic, possessed, rant, yelling, screaming, growling, cussing, dropping expletives, and losing his ever-living mind. And it's sometimes it's insane to see. Now, you could argue it's showmanship. You could argue he's not, you know, 
honest about you. I mean, you can have all of your opinions. I'm not here to get into all of those judgments, but when you're reviewing audio and you know how this works, I don't listen to it first because I don't want my critique to be rehearsed. I never know what's getting ready to happen. So if for any reason, any explicit language could be offensive to you, this would be a good time to tune out and go find a different podcast. Now, part one and part two, we didn't have any problems. Alex has kept it very much under control. He has talked about drinking and that he had a hangover and he's had, he's talked about that. And, but he, he claims, he's like, look, I'm not, I don't claim to be spiritual or godly. Like he, he's very open and honest with, with his issues. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's why some people like it. They feel it's more, maybe they feel Alex Jones is more genuine than some pastors, even though some would say Alex Jones is not genuine. He's a showman. So I don't know. It, it depends on what kind of, gen, uh, what, when you're talking about being genuine in what way. He definitely wears his emotions on his sleeve, but that's a whole different story. So I just thought before I lay back down and all I can think about is Alex Jones and ex- eschatology, I've got to finish this. Now, also remember, this is a radio program we're listening to, and they have lots of commercials, and you can probably figure out why. Alex Jones is clearly, clearly, clearly bankrupt, and he is he was sued for a billion dollars, and uh, he, he's still – he's got lots of financial issues closing in on him. Uh, and because he lost the you know trial with the, the parents of the children killed in Sandy Hook, uh, and uh, Alex Jones is – it's paying dearly for that, and probably you shouldn't turn on your microphone telling everyone a mass shooting is fake and didn't happen. It was crisis actors when parents lost their children and they're really dead, and the the pain and turmoil he caused uh, with that. But that's a whole different subject. Let's see where this goes. I have no idea. Let's just jump in. They're coming back from a break, so you have a little bit of his theme music. They're kind of their they're always their hype intro uh, that they do. And uh, we'll kind of let that, I'll have the volume down and kind of come up and then be ready when they jump back in into this conversation. If they go to another commercial, which I'm, I'm, uh, I think they will, we'll try to lower the volume, try to talk through it and then come back up and try to see if we can get this to a conclusion. Because I would like to be done tonight and not have to worry about this tomorrow and we can move on to all the other things we need to worry about and talk about. So are you ready? Buckle in. Strap in, take your blood pressure medication. I don't even know if I need to say that now because I, it's been pretty calm ride. I think I've been sometimes more upset listening to pastors preach in churches on eschatology than I have listening to this, which is just bizarre for me to even say. How is that even possible? I don't know, right? Yeah, I'll I'll go in my own full-blown Alex Jones-like rant if I keep going in this direction. So, 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 so. Let's stay calm and let's do this. Leading a frontal assault on the lies of the New World Order, it's Alex Jones. What is it the Antichrist, you've studied more than I have, what is, what's, he, what's the devil able to do to make people go into this delusion and worship this guy? So it's, it's a time of trouble. Right. So that's what we need. Historically, we've seen that with the rise of Hitler, with all of these different kind of dictators, a depression, a virus. Exactly. Something like that. So this time of trouble where people are looking and willing to give up freedom for security. We've been willing to do that throughout history. So the devil comes up with a solution. Yep. There's a person who comes in and has the solution. 
can bring world peace, can unite people that you never thought could unite. And really what marks the beginning of this is the signing of a treaty with Israel. And so Israel signs a treaty with all of its neighbors to have peace. It's a seven-year treaty, and that's where that seven-year tribulation. Well, it's kind of that's scary when Trump gun. was getting that done. I know, right? When he moved the uh, the uh, embassy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was that was fantastic. But well, there was no there was, was no con- peace treaty with yeah. the neighbors who. No, I mean, it was good what he was stuff. doing, but I'm just saying it was con- yeah. still kind of like, whoa, it's happening. Over. No, but it's part of it, right? Yeah. And so Russia plays kind of a key role in this too in the Battle of Armageddon. Was it Mog and Agog? Where were the ones? Russia? Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog. It's Russia and its allies that typically people believe that are the the armies that come down and invade. But really, the seven-year treaty is what kicks it off. So if you're looking for the start of this, either you won't be here, and and maybe we were correct in thinking that the church would be pulled out, or you'll see a treaty signed and you'll be here, but only for the good part, or you'll be here for all of it. Either way, it doesn't change what you do. None of that matters. This isn't something that you debate. A lot of times, you know, you talk about different doctrines and people are like, I don't know if you have to be baptized to be saved. And I go, you know what? I don't know either. Thief on the cross wasn't baptized. You know what I do know? Christ said to get baptized. That's all I need to know. I don't know what it does. I'm going to do communion. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to do it all. Well, I mean, but here's the thing. Like, I don't have to know if that's salvific, right? If it's going to be a part of the salvation plan. I, I don't know. I just know what Christ said to do. Here. Hey, that's a... That's kind of, I wish I could think that way. You know what? Hey, ultimately it doesn't matter. I'm not going to debate it. Hey, are we going to be here? Are we not going to be here? Not going to debate it. Do I need to get baptized to be saved? I'm not going to debate it. Now, I think, I think the only problem is that's a little simplistic because it does raise bigger questions because if someone says you have to be baptized in order to be saved, okay, well, then am I truly being saved by grace alone through faith alone apart from works? Or do you say baptism is a work of God? If baptism is a work of God, typically then that comes within baptizing babies. And if it's a work of God, then why do you then say later that they can lose their salvation? Because then God's work is not sufficient. Okay. Yeah. So there are deeper, like it's, I, I like that kind of simplicity. I wish I could always keep things that simple. I think sometimes you can look for and go, well, wait a minute. How does this ultimately play out? How does this ultimately play? I think there are times it can play out that way, right? Particular redemption or what some would call limited atonement. You can have that fight all day, right? I believe Christ died for everyone. I believe Christ only died for the elect. Okay. Now let me ask you a question. Who is saved? Well, those who believe. Okay. Well, limited atonement, who is saved? Those who believe. They are the elect. And, and someone who believes in a universal atonement, unless you believe in universalism, uh, for someone who believes Christ died for the whole world, who is saved? Well, those who believe. So in that sense, whether Christ, whether the, uh, the intent of the atonement was only for the elect or if it was the intent was for everybody, the effect is only for those who believe, right? I mean, ultimately, that's what it comes down to. I know that's not perfect, and you can find little nuances there, but I'm just saying in the bottom, what people get upset, if you believe in limited atonement, people will lose their minds. They're like, how dare you say Christ didn't die for everyone? Christ died for every single person. And I'm like, okay, and did it save them? Well, no, 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 no. Someone has to believe. All right. So whether Christ died for the elect or Christ died for everyone, the bottom line is the only people who are going to be saved are those who believe, right? Unless you're universalist and believe Christ died for everyone and therefore everyone's going to heaven, okay? which uh, obviously I, I think by the Bible would clearly demonstrate that's wrong. So some cases you just like, you know what, I'm not, 
we can fight this out, but guess what? I, we, we, whether you believe in limited atonement or you believe Christ died for everyone, here's what we're supposed to do. Share the gospel with everyone and call everyone to put their faith in Christ. And those who do, they are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, because of an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. So I do like the approach sometimes. There's some situations I'm like, okay, does this? how does this ultimately impact something? But sometimes... When we go with this simplistic idea, we overlook some deeper issues. Like when you say, well, do you have to be baptized to be saved? You're really talking about then how is a person saved? So there's deeper issues there, but I do like that. Hey, I know this, Christ says get baptized, so get baptized. I I do like that approach from that. I'm not going to argue what it does. We can at least all argue we need to be saved. Now, you could argue what is the requirement for baptism. Some say just be born and have someone take you to a church and get some water dropped on your head. Others will say you need to believe. Maybe that's a bigger issue. Maybe maybe the mode of baptism, but everyone should be able to agree agree that Christ commands us to be baptized. So, right? So I mean, yeah, we we could we could have long, and if he commands us, and if we do it, and it's a part of our salvation, then you can't say, see, see, you end up in a bigger issue, don't you? If Christ commands us to be baptized, and you say you have to obey that command in order to be saved, then you're being saved by following a command. Therefore, you're not saved by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. You're saved by something you do. See. That would create a problem, right? So, but sometimes the simplistic approach, I like it, but sometimes you're like, I don't know if it's that easy, but okay. I, I, hey, I, I kind of admire in some way, sometimes people who can just seem to look at it so simplistically because I, I'm, my brain is never at peace, never at rest, and I'm always in turmoil because of the millions of unanswerable questions in the world of theology and Bible and doctrine. There's just so much, like, it makes no sense. Any, and I think, I, I think it's just people are very different. I, I wish I could be more simplistic sometimes, but my mind w- won't let me. But let, let's see where they carry this. He says to be ready. You can't know the hour and the day, but you can know the season. Jesus actually holds people responsible and accountable for not knowing the time of his coming. That's what he was crying. Well, exactly. You don't know the exact time, but you know the season. Exactly. Right. And so the book of Revelation is actually God, the father revealing the plan to God, the son, Jesus telling John on the Isle of Patmos. So many people don't catch that in the first couple of verses. This is the revelation to Jesus. From God. Right, it says that right at the start. At the very start, and we read right over and go, okay, well, this is just the revelation to John. No, John is there as a witness to record. Now, he has a problem because he's seeing stuff that he has no idea how to describe. (laughs) But at the same time, he's doing his best. When he says that you've got something that spews sulfur out of its mouth and it's got the power to sting you in its tail. Okay. What does that sound like modern times, right? Spewing sulfur out of its mouth. Okay, people have conjectured maybe that's a tank. Okay, that sounds right. Soldiers behind it could be the tail because they have weapons and they can. Okay, now this is where I get frustrated with all of Christendom. All right, so you've got some people who say, hey, the book of Revelation, it's all metaphorical and allegorical. Now, I understand that. I can see why. Now, the problem is, well, once you say it's metaphorical, it's allegorical, you can pretty much assign meaning 
to you can pretty much do whatever you want with it at that point, right? Some people say it's all historical, has nothing to do with the future. Some say, well, it's future, but it's all allegorical and metaphorical. And this means this, and this means this, and this means this. And there's no end to what you can say it means because there's no like guidebook. There's no like, hey, this is how to interpret it. But what really makes me angry uh, is the people say the book of Revelation should be interpreted literally. That's the way it should be. Li- it's a literal millennial reign. It's a literal thousand years. He will literally be in Jerusalem. It's literal. It's literal. When it says this many people will die, it's literal. When it says they're going to take a mark in their hand or forehead, it's literally going to be in their hand, literally be in their forehead like a computer chip. It's literal. It's literal. And then all of a sudden go, wow, I mean, that could represent like a tank or a helicopter. <laughs> and that could be the soldiers. And like, well, wait a minute. Now you just made it symbolic. You just, you just now made it allegorical. Now, if once you do that, then it's a free for all for everything. You can't go back and forth. It's literally in the hand. It's literally in the forehead. It's literal thousand years. Well, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That part where it sounds like a scorpion, it can't be a scorpion. So it's got to be a tank. And the tail's got to be the army. What in the world? When well, where did you come up with that? No verse. You just inserted it. You, you're like, well, it sounds like this. Okay, look, that's what it is. That's not how you do hermeneutics. So you've got to determine what your hermeneutic is. And I think we have to strive to be somewhat consistent. Just a thought. Just a thought. Staying for the tail. Okay, if you're John and you have, you know, horses and buggies, how do you describe? Well, basically, describes all these flying metal and things and, and mountains of fire, and you know. it's hard to describe these kinds of things in a way that will make sense. And so, John had a problem. He had to describe these things in a way that hopefully people would be able to understand. But again, the point isn't was he talking about tanks? That's really irrelevant. The point is there's a time of trouble, the likes of which the world has never known. World War One, people thought was the end of the world. They actually thought it was called the war to end all wars. Exactly. Except it was the war to start another war. Right. Now, I do like that approach. Hey, we don't know exactly what John is describing here, but we do know the ultimate point. There's a time of great trouble. There's a time of great judgment. Now, you could get into a debate. Is he describing something historical that's already happened or he's describing something future that hasn't happened yet? Right? Because I, I, I think if, if you're going to go the thousand years as literal and Christ is literally going to rule and reign, you've got to be very careful making anything else in the book figurative. You've got to be very, the, the best you may be able to say is, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's pointing to something literally that's going to be bad and it's going to kill people. And this is how many people are going to die, something along those lines. You've got to, I think you've got to find, you've got to be somewhat consistent when you pick. The, the basically the hermeneutical approach you're going to take to the book. I, I, I do. I think I do get mad when people aren't that they, they, they fluctuate. They just kind of wishy-washy. And I think you got to kind of choose and then go with it. It was insane. And people thought, oh, my gosh, with World War Two, this really does have to be the end. It is going to get way worse than that. That's what scripture. Yeah, think about World at least 25 million Russians, 22 million Germans died. And a lot of like six hundred thousand Americans, a million. You know, I mean, it was. But the point was, we were 
we were on the tail end of it. I mean, the Russians and Germans killing each other. We waited as long as we possibly could because trench warfare didn't sound like it was going anywhere. And it didn't. We were smart. It said we put our troops, that's where the Army Air Corps was so big, in big, big machines dropping bombs. That seemed smarter. It was insane, but people thought the world was going to end. And people thought that the Antichrist should be on the stage and ready to go. But it's just going to get worse. And that's not to scare you. But the Bible even says there are many Antichrists. There's models of it. Well, there has to be. Because Satan doesn't know when the end is going to come anyway. So he has to be prepared pretty much in every Satan's generation. Satan's not omnipresent. No, he has to be prepared pretty much in every generation to have an antichrist. And this is, this is conjecture, so I'll be hold this loosely. But theoretically, that means that Hitler could have been the, the way, antichrist if the timing was right. Exactly. The spirit was ready to do it. Right. I'm not saying Gavin Newsom was the antichrist, but... <laughs> but <laughs> I'm with you. Let's go talk about but this. We talk about Patrick Bateman or whatever. He just, re- to me, my Holy Spirit, you know, the spirit me... I look at Newsom and I go, that's the devil. I mean, yeah. like, my gut just goes, whoa. Not just his actions. There's but I mean, evil there. And I, there's real evil there. Yeah. And I'm not saying he's the devil, but he's probably like a, I mean, there's, whatever's running him is like a, I mean, like lieutenant to Satan. Yeah, exactly. We'll get into a little bit about spiritual warfare, but I think that is 100% spot on that there are people that are influenced very, very, very heavily by evil. And scripture talks a lot about that. So speaking of scripture, I just want to, we've mentioned the book of Daniel. I just want to read a real quick quote here and uh, we'll throw it up on the, on, on the screen and post. We don't have it right now, so we won't be able to see it, Alex, but I'll read it to you. Sure. So Daniel nine twenty four. This, so this is the 70 weeks of Daniel. So 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and seal both the vision and profit and to anoint the most holy place. Okay. That's, does it sound like that has happened? Has sin been put to an end? No. Okay, so 70 weeks. So we are not at the end of that 70-week period yet, or some of those things would have happened. Some of those things might be able to happen in the first 69, and then there's a pause, and then there's a 70. Okay, the 70 weeks is another situation where literal, 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 and then all of a sudden 70 weeks don't mean 70 weeks. And when it says 70 weeks are determined upon the people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins— well, what does it mean to make an end of sins? Or, or like, what are you referring to? An end of, like, could this could this refer to what Christ did? I, I don't know. It is and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring an everlasting righteousness. I mean, like, does that possibly point to what Jesus did on the cross? I'm just throwing out hypotheticals because I'm just saying when he says, well, that hasn't happened. I, I'm all willing to listen that it hasn't happened, but I'm just throwing out a counter argument at, 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 when with it. I'm just throwing out counter arguments just to get you to think, oh, well, wait a minute. Could this also be describing what Christ did on the cross? Or does that not work? I'm not saying it does. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm not trying to get into an exposition of Daniel 9. I'm just like, I'm just trying to throw in a, a different perspective. I'm going to read uh, Daniel 9, 24, just briefly from a different translation, from a different translation. We have worked on Daniel in the past, and man, everyone's so dogmatic about what it supposedly means, and sometimes it irritates me, because I'm like, it's not as simple as everyone makes it out to be. All right, it says, uh, 70 weeks are decreed, about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. If you were just thinking that through, what, what do you think that's referencing? Now, now I'm, I'm not asking what you've heard. 
I'm asking what if you were just reading that. Now you may have to go back and read it in context and see, but what what is what comes to your mind? Right? Now he clearly says, hey, it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. Well, let's see what he goes on to say. Fifth week of Daniel, which is what it gets into. Know therefore and understand, and this is this is the prediction to the day of when Jesus would come and present himself as Messiah that so many people miss. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to coming of the anointed one, a prince, which is Messiah, there shall be seven weeks. Then from then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And so that's talking about when they're building the city, when they're rebuilding Jerusalem, you're actually going to have to build with one hand and have a sword in the other hand. And I believe they talk about that a little bit in Nehemiah, right? So Artaxerxes Langevinus actually gives the decree for them to go and rebuild the city. And they do. So that's the beginning of the clock. And there's some really cool studies. Again, Chuck Messler does a great study on this to kind of go, okay, here's the day. Now, this is important because what, what sometimes drives some people crazy is like, wait a minute. So 70 weeks aren't 70 weeks. But when it says, know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks. Then you have to go, well, wait a minute, seven literal weeks? That, that, does, that doesn't fit, right? So then you either have to like, wait a minute, is this pointing to something that's not dealing with Jesus that was fulfilled historically in a literal seven weeks? Or do now we have to say those seven weeks are literal seven weeks? Those are, those are pointing to a greater amount of time and then figure out how long it's from that point to that point and then say, well, then the week represents this. And then you get the idea. So there, there's a lot to work on, but you can see where it can get irritating because some people are like literal, 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 literal. Well, 70 doesn't mean 70 weeks, but a thousand years means a thousand years. <laughs> and you're like, well, wait. so wait. but in this case, you may actually have, hey, wait a minute. It's actually giving us from this period to this period is seven weeks. If you can figure out exactly when that period is, then you can figure out how long seven weeks is. And the text would be the one that would demand you to interpret the seven weeks that way. You would have a textual justification for understanding it that way. Just, 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 just a thought, just a thought, just a thought. All right, let's continue. Because we have good records on when that was. Now, how long is this weeks of years kind of period that they talk about? And he'll go into a study on that. We're not going to get into that now. Does that it come down to right around now? No, it's talking about when Christ would come the first time. Oh, yeah. So there's something. Oh, very, no, like the Old Testament precursors the same way. Right. So this is Daniel saying, look, Messiah is going to come at some point. Got to get some agua here. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll rat you out as she's coming in very uh, secretly and no, no, doing no, a no, great job. Going, My apologies. So Messiah is, is prophesied as coming here, right? And so the Jews are looking for the coming of Messiah because he's going to deliver them. And everything's going to be great. And they're not going to be overtaken by anybody. They're not going to be having all the problems that they are right now, especially when Jesus actually does come. They're being ruled by terrible people with the Romans. And they, they, they really were looking for their deliverer to come. And it's really interesting. I was talking to my wife earlier about this today. We, a lot of times, don't understand what Jesus is doing because he'll heal somebody and he'll say, don't say anything. Don't say who did it. Don't, don't do anything with this. Keep quiet. Be secret. Like he does that over and over and over again. When his mom comes to him at the wedding of Cana, one of my favorite miracles because I'm a wine guy, and says, I'm gonna, I want you to take care of this problem. Woman, my time is not yet come. Like I'm not supposed to do some of these things yet. Like, it's not yet. So Jesus constantly pushes back on this. and holding back on his power. He, 
And then there's one time where he demands it and commands it. And that's on the triumphal entry. On the day that Jesus looks out over the city and weeps over Jerusalem and said, if you had only known the time of your deliverance, basically holding them accountable for understanding the book of Daniel and saying, you didn't know that I was coming and this is not going to go well. I wish that wasn't the case. And how can they not deny it now when Jesus came and warned him and everything he said now came true? Absolutely. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is. And he actually said some people came up to him, some of the leaders, the spiritual leaders and said, make sure, tell your people not to do what they're doing right now because they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Tell them not to do that. And Jesus looks at them and says, look, if I beg you to think about how important her word of mouth is. Okay, we're not going to pause it. We're going to let it play. We're going to let it play. He's going to the commercials. We're going to come out and try to finish this. Uh, Hopefully we can. Um, The only frustrating thing here about this, and I know they're trying to cover so many issues in eschatology. If you go to Daniel 9 and a program about eschatology... I don't know if you can just kind of mention it. I mean, I know you can say, hey, this is pointing to the first coming of Christ, but you didn't. And, and he, he talked about how long are these 70 weeks and, and all of that, but he didn't really, you kind of have to go a little bit more into it, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. We can, we can circle back around to it at some point. We've, we're, we're going to work on the whole Olivet discourse contrast between uh, Matthew and Luke, and maybe, maybe we'll do some more. Maybe we'll do some more work in Daniel 9 at some point. Maybe we'll do some more work on it because it does it does require a lot. And and it is frustrating because, again, people are like, no, a thousand years is a thousand years, but a 70 weeks is not a 70 weeks. And you're like, well, come on. But then you could argue, but wait a minute. It tells us maybe. It gives us a clue in how to interpret the weeks. If the text tells you, then you could argue in Revelation, does it tell you how to interpret those thousand years? Is it giving you that it's not a thousand years? So, um, but you can see why you'll accuse someone of being allegorical. And then they're like, well, you're not so literal. And then everyone has their, because everyone knows there's times where you have these problems. And you're like, well, I don't know if that's a literal. I don't think we can make this work if it's a literal 70 weeks. Now, I've seen some articles And some people attempt to, and I've wanted to try to make it work. If I can make this all work in 70 literal weeks and then say, okay, maybe, you know, I think, uh, oh, I'd have to see if I can find out. uh, There's there's a couple of sources that attempted to do it. And I think it works up to a point and then it kind of falls apart. And then you're like, come on now, come on now. So, um, yeah, then, then we have to look, so. All right. We're waiting for them to get done, and then we'll hopefully bring this to a. So I'm not going to say we're going to get to a dramatic conclusion, but we'll see. We'll see. Obviously, you can tell it's it's a lot more reasonable than I thought it would be. It's a lot more reasonable than I thought it would be. I mean, it's holding to a pretty standard view of eschatology as popular, uh, but it's given us some things to work on. All right, we're waiting. Come on, come on. Get done with your commercials and let's bring this to a conclusion. We can get as close as we can. Come on, come on. Let's. Let, we're waiting for them to come out of commercial. All right. Well, okay. Hang on. No, still more commercials. I mean, telling you, so many commercials now. But 
we'll we'll wait. We'll wait for them to come out of this. I guess the more commercials they have here, then hopefully this break, hopefully this break will get us all the way to the end. Hopefully when they come out of this break, we won't have any more and we can get all the way to the end of this. But it is, it is, I will say this, it's been somewhat interesting and it's brought up things for us to, to look at. Things for us to look at. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, hurry up. <laughs> These commercials last forever. But if you do have any questions about anything or anything specific, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and we'll try to put it in the stack of things to get to at some point. Here we go. Maybe. No. Now. Here we go. All right. They're going to come in with their theme music. They can play copyright music. We can't. So I got to keep it down. They're doing a Y50 theme. Mad when the Messiah told them and then it all came true. I mean, it's but like, geez, and like God knew this as well. God knew that they would miss this. God, you mentioned it earlier when people were, you, I think you were talking about them praying in public and making their, these eloquent prayers. And then you've got this sinner over there that said, have mercy on me, God. I am a sinner. That's the heart that he wants, not somebody praying in public for public recognition. Which repeats the pattern. King tomb. David really was sorry and, and prayed in yeah, private. Absolutely. Well, he prayed in private, but he, he wasn't making a big show of things. If he did something in public, like he danced before God without his tunic on, like he had pants on, but probably no shirt. He danced before God. There was nothing wrong with that because it was genuine. What, what God had a problem with, what Jesus, God in, in human form, had a problem with was fake belief, fake sincerity, fake piety. People who said one thing, did another thing, and then actually lorded it over kind of the, the laity, the, the people, right? And said, hey, you guys have to do all of these things because of God. And I am God's minister, but I'm, I'm cheating. I'm doing all these things that I shouldn't be doing. Uh, but don't worry about that. That's why he called them whitewashed tombs. Well, Gerald, if, you, if you had a national, which you have with, with, with your great Stephen Crowder, if you had a national TV show preaching every week, I'd tune in. You're good. You're smart, man. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. But No, I would. That's what we're doing right now. I guess I'm, I'm kind of chicken to the egg. I the Holy Spirit to say something because, you know. No, but I mean, I, chicken to the egg. We are talking to millions right now. So, Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, and so and then it goes on and talks about um, a, a covenant that is made for one week. And this is where the week, kind of weeks of years thing comes in. Um, in, in, in Judaism, like there's, you can have a week of years, right? So it's, it, it's kind of something that's foreign to us. We say a week, we mean seven days. You can actually have that mean seven years, right? So it's just kind of a figure of speech. And so Daniel kind of gives that to us in verse 27 and make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week. So the first, just a question. He says within Judaism, it's common that we would say a week means seven days, but it can mean seven years. Now, what I would challenge you to do, I mean, whenever you hear these things being talked about in eschatology, just take your Bible, look up the word weeks, go from Genesis to Revelation and see at any point is the word weeks, is it a reference to years? Something clear that like, hey, that's seven years. That week is seven years. That week is a, a, a we think week is seven days. They, they, they could commonly say, oh, there's a week of seven years. 
can you find anything in the Bible where it's close? Now, don't go to Daniel where you're just inserting it. Is there anywhere else you're going like, obviously, those are not seven days. Clearly, that is a reference to seven years. And they call it a week. Can you find scriptural support for that concept? Now, maybe you may argue that it's in Judaism and that it's a cultural thing. Fine. But just is there is it anywhere else in Scripture? I mean, I think that would be fun to search it out, right? I mean, I almost want to do it now, but we, we've got to finish that. Maybe, maybe we'll make that. I'm going to write that down as something we should do. I love going to church saying, all right, guys, tonight, all we're going to do is look something up. Everyone get to work. And then we do that. But, okay, a week equals... Seven years or a week equals seven days. What do you typically find in Scripture? All right. What do you typically find? And I think if we look up, hang on. I'm just going to look up really quick. So I'm going to try to stop myself. I'm not going to try to get carried away here. But this is whenever you hear things like that, I'm telling you, this is where you can be. Uh, uh, you know, the, the kind that searches to scripture to see whether these things so, because these are very provable things, right? These are things you can test and see, all right? Because some of these are, some of these have nothing even to do with, you know, interpretation. It's just, it's going to be, it's either we're going to find it or we're not going to find it. Um, let me see here. I'm going to go to the whole Bible. Okay, the first time week is used is in Genesis 29, 27. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. Well, is that is that saying a week is is seven years? Is that is that is that what is that is that what is could we possibly be onto something that quick? Could we? I'm going to I'm going to read it from a different translation. Is it that quick to find? Now if it's so, you see then you would have a good textual argument for going to Daniel going, "Hey, hey, 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 we we can prove this." Genesis 29. Let's go here. 27. Okay, it says complete the week this week of wedding celebration. And we will also give you this younger one in return for working yet another seven years for me. So now does that, is that saying the week is a week and the seven years is separate from the week? You can work on that. You can work. I'm not trying to give anything away. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to give you a definitive. I want you to look for it for yourself. But week is used, um, the word week is used 12 times in the KJV, the word week. I don't know about weeks, but just see, week, is, does a week equal seven years or does it equal seven days in scripture? Go, 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 go. No, 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 wait, wait, come, come back, come back, come back. Not yet, not yet, not yet. But all right, so we got some things, we got some things to work on, right? Should be fun, should be fun, should be fun. Okay, we can't do it right now. Let's finish this. We got to finish this. Come on. Come on, we got to finish this. I got to end this night terror. Okay, I have to end it. All right, here we go. First half, so that you don't miss it. By the way, the book of Revelation says it three different ways. 
It says 300 and or I can't remember the number of days. It's like 1,200 and something days, three and a half years. And it gives you the months. It does months, weeks, years, multiple times to make sure that you understand it's a three and a half year period. It's 360 day years, though, which is very interesting to me. Somebody can do some research on that. I think there's a, a really interesting book out there, but I think called When Worlds Collide, that talks about potentially how the calendar can change around a little bit. But that's, again, that's. But that's, what do we say crazy. to the average person? who doesn't even believe in God, but then really worships the system, what are they going to do as this world government comes in that surveils you with AI and you've got to submit and follow everything it tells you or it takes your right to have a job or eat or live or travel and basically kills you? I mean, that is, you've got to worship the beast to get the mark of the beast. And so what do you think, what is, we know the devil is the antichrist, but what is the beast system, Gerald, in your view? And then what is it we have to do to get this mark? Because like you said, you don't get it by accident. So how do you refuse it? You, so you'll know. But the good thing is that you will know. Nobody will ever accidentally take the mark of the beast. And that was a question that a lot of people had. Like, I'm so glad that he says that. Because I think even in many churches, they, they ignore that and they almost act like, and there's a lot of Christians who think, oh no, if I do this, I'm going to take the mark of the beast. If I do this, I'm going to take the mark of the beast. And I, um, I, 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 I hate that idea. I hate that teaching so, so much that people uh, get that idea. I, I've, to- I've told the story before. I'll tell it just one time quickly. In the United States military, basic training, Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, Texas. Well, when you get there, one of the things you have to do is put your laundry mark. You've got to put it in the back of your T-shirt. It's your first, it's, it's the first letter of your last name and the last four of your social security. You got to do it for all your shirts so that you know they're your shirts. You got to do it for your underwear. The first letter of your last name and the last four of your social. Now, I don't know if they still do that in 2023, but they did it when I was in basic training at Lackland Air Force Base, okay? Uh, United States Air Force, right? And so we're all good. I think it's the first night, second night there. I don't even know how long. I don't even know which day it was because, you know, it's all a blur, those those weeks in basic training. It's, you know, yeah, we, we, it, <laughs> it's horrible. Okay, I, 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 I digress, I digress. But all of a sudden, this guy is having a fit. He's throwing a fit. He's having a nervous breakdown. And someone's like, hey, can you talk to him? Because I, I guess I had a Bible or something and someone knew that I was, you know, quote unquote in their words, religious. Because this guy's like, I don't want to take the mark of the beast. I don't want to take the mark of the beast because I'll go to hell. And you're like, dude, it's 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 not the mark of the beast man it's not the mark of the beast it doesn't work that way you'll know you're doing so in allegiance to you're you're doing it as worship as allegiance to the beast to the to the antichrist not only that if we believe revelation is in any kind of chronological order in any kind, right? If you take this mark in a literal way and you believe it's future, I know others say it's not literal. It had to deal with Roman emperor. I understand, you know, that, hey, we don't even need to worry about it. It was for then. I got that. But if you take it literal in any way, shape or form, put Revelation even remotely in chronological order, there's a lot of things that have to be going down way before the mark gets introduced. Look at all the things that have to happen. It's like, so that's the way I approach it. I'm like, has any of the, I think I sat down with my Bible. And I'm like, has this happened? This happened? Okay. Then I don't think you'd putting your first letter of your last name in the last four of your social, which isn't six, 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 six. And that would be four sixes anyway, but it it's not, 
you're going to be perfectly fine. It has nothing to do with it, right? So, and, but it's just sad that some people that go, I, no, 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 no. I'm not going to, I remember debit cards and credit cards. That's taking the mark. And then people are like, I'm never going to do that. And other people are like, no, no, no. If they put a chip in me with health, uh, like their health records, I'm not going to do that. That's the mark. I'm like, you're carrying around a phone. Tracks everything you do everywhere you go, and it has a number, right? It's a, and you carry it in the palm of your hand. Okay, so you're worried about a chip that could possibly save your life if they find you unconscious and can scan it and have your entire medical history, right? Like it's just no. There's if you take it literal, there's then take it literal. These things have to happen, and it, you you're gonna know it. So I'm glad he at least brings that up. I'm glad he at least brings that up because a lot of pastors don't. Look with RFID tags with, uh, I don't know, pull out your phone. Like if you live in China, basically you take out your phone and it scans it and that's how you buy stuff. That's how you see if you're qualified to get on an airplane or a train or get a car loan. Maybe go to college uh, if your ESG score essentially social credit I don't score, sell without it. social credit score. But nonetheless, I mean, it, it's all kind of one thing. I think we, we've talked about the ESG stuff as well. All of that is the same thing. So people thought, oh, am, am I accidentally doing that? People thought barcodes because the dividers were sixes and it said six, six, six. Yeah. I'm like, look, it's not barcodes. Just because you go to the store and you buy some cheese doesn't mean that you've taken the mark of the beast. It will be a bowing down to a world system. Think of the story of Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was a big statue over there. They bowed down before it and worshipped it, worshipped it multiple times a day, and they stood up and said, we're not going to do it, right? That's what you'll have the opportunity to do. It won't happen by accident. But the way the mechanisms for that to be carried out are being put in place right now. And that's what's incredible. You read Revelation, and you're like, how do they do it? You worship it, you got to submit, and then you get the mark. It's not like you just agree to take it. You have to worship it and do whatever it says. They have all these patents where you're watched by AI in lifetime, and you follow its orders completely, or it's taken away from you. So you become a robot and turn your free will over and become an extension of Antichrist. Right. I mean, and, and so God's like, yeah, you've cut yourself off when I made you and gave you all this creativity and all this freedom and free will. If you merge with this, basically marry the devil and put yeah. the ring on your finger of this mark, then then that's it. You're done. Yeah. Well, and they talk about the... the- just, just note, if you don't know anything about Alex Jones, when he ever talks theology, ever talks the Bible, man, that free will, free will, free... He believes in libertarian free will so much. That's, that's like the foundational belief of his theology is free will, free will, free will, free will, free will, free will. I've heard him say it forever, forever. And so I, 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 you almost want to say he's full-blown Pelagian as much as he represents it. He clearly is semi-Pelagian at some point. Clearly he believes man's depravity does not impact their will because for the will to be free, well, then your depravity cannot have any impact at all upon it or it's not free, Right. So therefore, you would have to be, you almost, if you're cons- still logically consistent, you have to be full-blown Pelagian. You have to be full, which Pelagianism is an absolute heresy, and I condemn it, and I've taught against it, and gone through that, what, the 18 points of Pelagianism? I completely reject it. But Pelagian, whether, someone may not be a Pelagian in full full effect, maybe not even be a semi-Pelagian, may not even know what Pelagianism is, but trust me, they've been influenced by its theology, because a lot of people really stress this free will concept. And of course, I reject it, holding to total, total, Total depravity. 
total depravity. All right, let's continue. Once you take the mark of the beast, you're right. You can't come back from that. There is no coming back. And so if I, I believe in a rapture that takes Christians out, which leaves a pretty terrible world in my, my opinion. But, 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 but just back up for a second, though. But that means you, God, you know, like these, like the, you know, you've got the people on the cross and one of them doesn't believe the other does. That guy, you'll be with me in paradise. But think about it. What is it you've got to do that's so bad in the process that to get that mark, to get that sign, you've done, you've done the ultimate sin or you've done something so bad, God says, it's not just that you took it. It's like to get that mark's to, to me, is what did it. Yeah, so this is, really, this is the final chance. I think it's just the final straw kind of thing. Like, this is you declaring sides. You've picked your side kind of at the last you put the enemy uniform on. I would argue that if if we take this all literal, I'm just going with, and I understand there's all the, the, the different points. I would argue the taking of the the mark would simply be symbolic would just be the outward symbol of the inward reality that you've already worshipped and you're already given yourself over to Antichrist, to the beast. You, it, it's just, it's an out, it's a symbol of what, it's a symbol of the reality inside of you, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's a symbol of the reality. I don't think that the mark makes the reality. The mark is the result of the reality. The mark is not like what condemns you. You get the mark because you are condemned. The mark is not what causes you to be lost. You're lost. That's why you get the mark. It's just the natural result. It's the natural symbol of of what you are. I, th- I think that is. I think that's the point. The symbol is just the rep- the the number. Or the the mark is just a a representation of the spiritual reality. It doesn't. It's not what condemns you. You're already condemned. So I don't. I don't like that way they're phrasing it. Hey, when you get this, it's over. It's already over for you because you're already lost. You're just doing what naturally occurs. You're worshiping the beast. You're worshiping the image. You're believing the signs and wonders. You're following it. And then you just naturally get the mark. That, 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 that seems to be, I, I don't know. You, you can tell me what you think there. All right, let's continue. Exactly. Right. And right now we have grace. We have the, the covering of Christ and, and praise God for it because there are days where. And it's going to be rough. You may like maybe your children have sided with Antichrist. God forbid. I mean, there's going to yeah. be a moment where you're like, well, my family did it. I'm taking it fine. I bow down. Well, then you it's just no, you've got to say sorry. I mean, it, it, absolutely. You, you have to. And you're, it will cost you your life. Like you won't be able to buy or sell it means you can't eat. Like maybe people will set up co-ops. There's a really cool series of books called Left Behind by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins oh. that I read when I was in high school. I started reading them and they came out over, I guess, the course of maybe 10 or 15 years. They wrote a ton of them. Really, really interesting stuff. But it describes, OK, well, you know, think of the practical things that could happen. Somebody can set up a co-op and have believers around the world. There's some kind of a system where they're trying to kind of help people be fed and help people get moved out of cities that are, I guess, locking down. And by the way, the U.N. And, and, and the Rockefeller Foundation 10 years ago put out Plantopolis. And they said, we're going to put the people that won't take our chips and accept our system in these ghettos. Yeah. And it said they're going to have, like, it describes that. Well, so, so even the enemy sees the same perspective. It's, it's weird. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so many people think that it's impossible for that system. I want to go back to this because this really is the test case. This is absolutely the test case. So we've talked about how COVID-19 mirrored how maybe the, a world government could take over because we need it because it's so bad it's going to kill everybody. It's not going to kill everybody, right? It's so bad it's going to kill everybody that everybody has to do this. Take it one step further. One of the things that I absolutely get frustrated with 
is I hate when eschatology, right, immediately gets merged with COVID ideas, like COVID conspiracy conspiracy theories, COVID denial, you know, minimizing it, um, or turning the COVID vaccine into the way people are going to be microchip. We were during the COVID pandemic. Uh, I. I played audio of, of a Christian podcast that, hey, the COVID vaccine has the mark of the beast in it. It has a microchip. And once you – and it, it's got nanobots in it. And once you get it injected, then what's going to happen? They're going to turn on 5G. It's going to activate the na- nanobots. And then it's going to destroy your free will and you're going to submit to Antichrist. Now, I, I – you know, so I guess everyone's walking around with all the nanobots in it waiting for 5G to be turned – I think 5G is already turned on. But whatever the case may be, it's all this crazy – I hate when an eschatology gets attached with that craziness because then people will condemn the eschatology because of the craziness that comes with it. Please don't do that. What people do with a doctrinal system should not reflect on the doctrinal system. And the only reason I say this is because I've experienced, listen, not only from the dispensational side where it seems everyone who's dispensational, who a more literal interpretation of revelation are the ones saying, COVID is fake. No one died. It's all a conspiracy. They were doing this to lock us down and get us ready for antichrist. All of And that the vaccines have the mark of the beast. I remember when it was a big conspiracy that flu vaccines had the mark of the beast. At this point, everything has had the mark of the beast in it. But I don't blame the eschatology. And here's the reason why. I went to a school that was all millennial. All millennial. All of a sudden, the person in charge of said school started telling us that the world was going to end in 1994. And then he told us the church age had come to an end. You need to flee your local congregation because if you stay, you've taken the mark of the beast. That person's name was Harold Camping. The school was the family radio school of the Bible. I was a student. It was insane watching how everything unraveled. He went from reformed, (laughs) amillennial, to I don't know what in the world it turned into. And a lot of why it turned into that is he took the allegorical approach to interpreting scripture and he was allegorizing this. And now, you know, it's not Jeremiah is not about Judah or Israel. It's about the church and say when Judah and Israel goes into captivity, that's the church going into captivity to Satan. And then you need to flee. And then, oh man, it was crazy, 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 crazy. So I've seen craziness arise from that. Craziness arise maybe from a more literal don't blame the theology. Don't blame what people do to a the- People can abuse any doctrine. People can abuse any doctrine. The abuse of a doctrine does not negate the truth of the doctrine. The Condemn the abuse. And I just hate that sometimes eschatology now is connected with a lot of conspiratorial thinking. And, and people, and, and, but see, this is what happens. If all of a sudden you've got a certain eschatology and you're like, ooh, 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 look at this, what the Bible says. I'm, that's it. I'm going to reject COVID. It's not true. It's a work of the Antichrist. They're trying to take away my rights. I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to follow any rules. And it would be, and they, they, but they have, they, they think they have a theological justification because they start quoting things about revelation. And that bothers me. But I try to separate the eschatology from the craziness.
I hope that makes sense. It's not just that the situation is dire and that we need to take these drastic economic measures and freedom kind of restricting measures. It's that people who speak out against it are worthy of death. How many celebrities did we see tweeting, F you, if you don't have the vaccine and you come to the hospital. Screw your freedom. Yeah, exactly. Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you don't have the vaccine and you come to the hospital, you should die and somebody else should be taking care of you. They weren't resuscitating people with heart attacks in the United States because the hospital was too full and it wasn't. Exactly. None of these hospitals were too full. We've talked about this. Like that. Boy, see, now they're going right. But now this is classic Alex Jones stuff. This is classic Alex Jones. Let me make it very clear. (laughs) The people who refuse to go along with COVID supposedly would not do social distancing, would not wear a mask. They were just as out of their minds as maybe you want to blame people on the other side. They were yelling and screaming at people. Take off that diaper on your face. How dare you? And yelling and screaming at you and coming into hospitals. And not, I remember I told the story when I was at my doctor's office and some guy came in. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to give in. And then started yelling and had to call in security because it, and it's like, dude, do you think anybody here wants to be wearing a mask? Whether you think it's. effective, 90% effective, whatever. Put on a mask. I worked in the medical world for 22 years. We would put mask on during flu season, okay? Anybody with any flu symptoms, put on a mask. Whether you think it's effective or not, even if it would possibly reduce the spread by, say, 5%, it's a mask. It's not going to kill you while you're inside this building. So, I mean, for crying out loud, but you would see, so you saw insanity on both sides. Let's make it very clear, okay? And too many people who worked in the medical world can tell you how horrible their experiences were to have people outside of the medical world make up lies about it. Make up lies about, and again, Alex Jones telling you, the hospitals weren't this, the hospitals weren't that. Remember, that's the very man who said Sandy Hook did not really happen. It was crisis actors and a man who's made all kinds of, and when he went to court, all of his supposed proof, he didn't offer any of his proof because he didn't have any and he lost and he now owes families billions, a billion dollars or whatever it is, some crazy number. Uh, So, you know, let's just keep that in mind here. I've tried to be very nice, but now I start getting very frustrated because I'm so tired of this. Keep it to biblical eschatology, right? But all of the horrible, remember that what we were kept telling is these lockdowns, that's it. This is the end. They're going to take away your freedom. They're going to take away your guns. And well, we went through it and uh, I live here in West Texas. Everyone still has their guns. Everyone still has their freedom. You say, well, it's just a test and it's coming next time. Well, I've I've heard all of these kinds of crazy claims over. Remember when Obama was president, we were going to lose our guns. We were all going to be microchipped and we're all going to be Muslims. And if we didn't convert to Islam, we're going to be taken to FEMA camps and killed. Obama's been gone a long time. None of that happened. I've heard it over and over and over these claims. 
How about let's be very careful about making crazy claims and just stick with the eschatology. Now, you could say, yes, in COVID, we saw how an entire population could react to a perceived threat. Now, you we can debate whether every decision was right or every decision was wrong. But just because you disagree with a decision doesn't mean you have to offer, oh, it was nefarious. It was evil. It could have just been, I don't know, we we're dealing with a novel coronavirus, a novel, something that we had not dealt with before. And there were going to be decisions that were right. There were going to be decisions that were wrong. There were going to be decisions that were good. There are going to be decisions that we will learn from. But here's what I kept telling over and over. And I get tired of hearing these programs like this. For the Christian, you know what we were called to do? We were called to put our focus on serving Christ Loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving others, putting others before ourselves, doing anything we could possibly do, whether it was only a little bit effective or effective, and doing what we could to preserve life and protect other people and not just worry about our own rights. Because the Bible says there are times to give up your rights, especially if it could cause someone to stumble. And especially when it comes to the possibility of the loss of life, you do what you can to help other people. But it was all about making statements, making rights and and crazy and making claims, maybe true, maybe half true, but we should not be bearing false witness. And remember, it wasn't the pro-vaccine people. It wasn't the pro-mask people who walked into my church, you know, protesting uh, mask and everything and interrupted an entire service where I was live streaming and caused all kinds of difficulty and ruined that entire sermon that day because they were trying to prove some point. COVID is fake. COVID is fake. It's not real. The mask is a hoax. And it's like, uh, could you just let me, I don't know, minister to people and I don't know, go do something else with your time. So yeah, I didn't have the pro vaccine and pro mask people Cause, cause me any problems. I, I, I never had one of them cause me problems. And I thought it was an opportunity for us as Christians to try to show the world, hey, when things go bad, we will show love, concern, and we will put you before ourselves. I thought it was an opportunity for us to show self-sacrifice and love for others. I thought it was an opportunity for us that, that we could use the opportunity going, hey, let's see what we can do. Let's use this as an opportunity to minister to people. Let's use this as an opportunity to study the Bible and teach the Bible and look at our own spiritual lives and possibly grow spiritually. But it turned into about rights and making a statement and fighting the man and, and fight the power. And, 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 and oh, boy. Oh, boy. So I got no problem saying, hey, guys. Let us at least learn a lesson from this. Panic. People will give up rights. That is true. That is true. So that we could learn. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Sometimes it's good from a Christian perspective to give up rights because we're called to give up rights to, for other people sometimes. It's not about me. Christ laid down and it sits his glory, not his deity, but his glory to do what? To humble himself, to become a servant, to he could die on the cross for you. He humbled himself. He laid aside. But Christians are, I'm not laying aside anything. I'm going to, I'm going to yell and scream and make a point instead of saying, Hey, 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 what can we do to minister people to people right now? What can we do to show them that we love them? What can we show that we do believe human life is sacred? 
I think the church missed the whole point through the entire thing. I still, and I still, when I hear this kind of nonsense, I still hear people still missing the point. People still want to argue. Well, see, 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 look, this study or this study. Look, if even if you prove that the mask wasn't 100% effective, it was only 10%. 10% is worth doing what we can. And yes, you're right. There were things said about the vaccine that maybe didn't turn out to be the exact way. But you have to understand in the middle of a pandemic, not everything was going to be perfect. But there was no room for Christians were not willing to allow grace. They were not trying to show mercy. They were just trying to make points and yell and scream. And anyone who did it on the other side, I don't care what I don't care what lost people did. I care about what, what Christians did, right? That is the kind of mentality people will have. You are now an enemy, not just an enemy ideologically, not just somebody that I need to make sure doesn't run for office and win, but somebody who should not have a job, a way to provide for their family, a place to live, or even... And that's why China's the model. So from from your research, the Bible, you've done a better job than I have. I always remember in in, in Sunday school and stuff, they're going to be guillotines, chopping Christians' heads off. I mean, what does the Bible actually say about that versus what people made up? 100% true. So if you don't have the mark of the beast, if you refuse to worship, the uh, punishment of choice is separating you from your head. Which is typically fatal. That's a lot be, better than going to hell. It's supposed to be a joke, Alex. No, no. Uh-huh. no. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Now, I would also say that a lot of times during that period during COVID, where they were supposedly shutting down and ruining people's lives, the church could have been more focused on how we can pull resources and help those who may be in financial need and how can we help people who may be of higher risk so they really can't go out. Instead of yelling and screaming, how dare you? Because I saw Christians do this. How dare you say the church can't meet when Walmart is open? Don't you want Walmart open? (laughs) Don't you want people to be able to get food? Don't do, like, why would you use it as an argument? My argument, like, no, 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 keep these places open. And let's see, what can we do to support these businesses, whether ordering delivery or whatever we can do? Can we order food and get it to people who can't afford it? Why? Like the Christians could have been mobilizing, looking to how to help and assist, not like we're going to, we're going to fight and we're going to argue and we're going to try to prove our point. It, It just looked like kids on the playground who didn't like the rules who wanted to throw a fit. Now, I got no, I had no problem that there may have been times to go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I said it a million times that the church could have said, okay, listen, 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 and contact whoever the local authorities are and go, look, we want to be respectful. We want to be the best citizens we can be. We're willing to take this percussion, this percussion, but we cannot do this or that and make, and, but then at the same time being saying, and also we'll use our parking lot. We'll use, we'll do whatever we can to assist in any way possible. How can we assist? We have volunteers. We'll take food and put it uh, at people's doors. We'll like Christians could have been trying to be the most helpful people, the most. Christians, instead of going to the hospitals trying to get some secret video trying to prove, oh, these people are in or on the conspiracy, conspiracy, Christians could have been standing outside offering things, food, uh, comfort, something to the medical workers who are working, you know, 12, 
hours or more a day having to be in their entire protective gear going watching people die and suffer but no instead of saying like how could we minister the, to the people in there dealing with this we were like liars you're liars there's nothing going on in there you're just kicked back watching tv drinking who knows why you're not there's nobody in there christian why weren't christians more compassionate and loving i mean that to me for whatever it shows about, ooh, this could be nefarious and, and the government could use this in the future. I say we should look at the church and go, how bad did we mess up? How bad did we fail? How many people did we let down? It is no, but it's so, but it's so, so serious. Well, I'm that's, on. That a lot of people think, okay, well, what other world religion right now? Because it will come in under a world religion. Don't, don't don't be fooled. Don't think that they're going to say God is not real. That's not what they're going to say. They're going to say, yes, God is real, but God is this, right? They'll say you can still be Christian, but you're not really, you must accept every other religion. We have to accept all of these other things. What religion right now kills apostates by cutting off their heads? Islam. Islam. Absolutely. What regions are we talking about when we talk about some of the places that this all is going to happen? Middle East. Middle East. Do you think it's any surprise that that probably plays a prominent role? I have no idea. And Islam didn't exist for 400 years after the revelation. But it was, I think Islam came around in what, the 600s? Roughly? 500, 600 years. 500, 600, yeah. Something like that. This was, this was something, this guy was, I, I, didn't, I didn't even plan on getting into Islam, but this is a topic that I've studied a lot. This guy was rejected by the Jews. He wanted to be Jewish, but he was rejected. He was rejected by Christians as well. And then he kind of dabbled in some Zoroastrianism. Yeah, exactly. They're at the Mecca, or yeah. they're at the crossroads of, of, of the of the of the east-west trade. Yeah. He watched all this. Absolutely, and he kind of based everything off of that. And what's really interesting? Maybe we can do another one on this. Yeah. So when we talk, about- and we'll have to stop there because I didn't even realize we're at seventy-two minutes. Man, time flies by when you're having. Well, I don't know how much fun we had. I don't know how much fun we had. But time flew by whether we're having fun or not having fun. There you have it. That's the crazy world of Alex Jones and eschatology on a program about apologetics. Yes, it's hard to believe all three of those come together. That's that's what we're having. We've all, we've got we got a little bit of time left, but we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to finish it now. I don't. Maybe we'll try to finish this tomorrow. I don't. You know what? I don't think I'm gonna finish it. Here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do: look up the Alex Jones podcast. If you can't find it, let me know. I'll send you a link from some podcast app. Um, I know it's not on. I know he's banned from some podcast apps, but on others you can find him. That's the Sunday program hour two. You can. Fast forward probably to the last 16 minutes, 15 minutes, and uh, you can you can listen to the rest. I, I don't know if we're going to fit. Maybe tomorrow I'll, 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 I'll say, you know what, I have to, but um, you can listen to the rest if you would like. But we did that for a lot of reasons. We do have some things to look into. Um, I still want you, I, I, we, we're still going to work on Matthew 24, verse 1. Uh, 20, Matthew 24, verses 1 and following, the Olivet Discourse, Luke 21, 5 through, I think, 36. And we're going to compare and contrast those two because they put forth the hypotheses that these are really two different discourses given to two different groups of people for two di- for different purposes and require different interpretations. Uh, we are going to... Uh, we're going to consider, we need to consider the 70 weeks in Daniel. But the main thing we're going to do is they made the claim that week... 
can equal seven years. Right? That that was common in Judaism. Therefore, when you see the weeks in Daniel, it's easy to say the week is seven years. Right? So that that's that's their argument. Well, what we're gonna do is I'm challenging you to look up the word week, go from Genesis to Revelation. Look up every time the word week is used. Is it referring to seven days or is it referring to seven years? And is there any other place that makes it seven years? We have, do we have something possibly there early in Genesis? You can look. Look up the word weeks as well, just to see if that offers any help at all. All right. That's where you can look at it for yourself. All right. There we have it. Thanks for listening to this now. No, it's not morning yet. This late night episode. Of the, I was going to go with old school name for my podcast. Thank you for listening to a late night episode of the Theology Central podcast, where we do try to make Theology Central. And I will say this, just a reminder to everyone, look at how many hours we broadcasted today. All of that content was yours for free. We don't monetize. We don't put anything behind a paywall. If you ever so desire to support that, because it may be free for you, it's not free for us. It's definitely not free and for my time and for the money it costs us to put this program wherever it is. Feel free to donate. You can go to theologycentral.net, hit the donate tab, or on the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app, hit the give tab. And we don't care if you give a dollar or two dollars, three dollars, whatever. That money goes to Victory Baptist Church located in Ovalo, Texas. Does not come to my personal account. If that ever changes, I will definitely announce it on the air that the money no longer goes there. It comes to me. But as long as I'm the pastor there, the money will go to the church and not to me. And it will go to help pay for, well, (laughs) all that we do for the Internet. So... If you ever want to give, please do so. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great, well, probably morning wherever you are. I was going to say have a great night. I got five minutes left of my night. So, hey, have a great morning and have a great Wednesday because it's, well, it's probably already Wednesday where you live. Thanks for listening. Again, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.